you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. turn our affection toward the king in this house right now. Can we do that? over if it's appropriate and make a point of contact with somebody and let's just come boldly under the throne of grace for a moment I wonder if you could really tap in and let's let's plug into the flow of the Holy Ghost here today Genesis 22, verse 15, Genesis 22, uh, verse 15, Uh, let me say once again, I've said it the last two times I've been behind this pulpit, but it bears repeating, I am so glad to be in Frankfort, Indiana, at Christian Life Church, with the Jordan family, God bless this church. Appreciate your receptiveness of what God did this morning. And I do feel, I feel linked up in the Holy Ghost with this church. It's not everywhere you go that you just feel that, that distinct God connection. But I feel it here in this church. And I thank God for that. Honor this wonderful pastor and his Brother and Sister Jordan making room for the fivefold ministry to be in operation and um, teaching this church about the fivefold ministry so that you can receive it and you can 
Genesis 22 and verse 15. The angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time. Aren't you thankful God will speak to you more than once? It said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. I want to look again at verse 17. Where God said, I will multiply thy seed. Everybody say lineage. I will multiply thy seed or thy lineage as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed. Everybody say lineage. Thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. God said, I'm going to give you lineage. I'm going to give you seed. I'm going to give you offspring. I'm going to give you descendants. But here's what that lineage is going to do. That lineage is going to possess the gate of his enemies. Everybody say land. Lineage and land. That was the promise that God gave to Abraham and to Isaac and eventually to Jacob. I'm not just going to give you seed. I'm not just going to give you descendants. I'm not just going to give you lineage. I'm going to give you land as well. So I want to talk to this great church here tonight about lineage and land. Lineage and land. One more time, would you just lay your Bibles down and <coughs> would you lift your hands? Would you lift your voice? And if you have the Holy Ghost, would you just pray in the Holy Ghost here for just a few more moments? I really feel, I really feel like we just need to spend some time in prayer here. You can do whatever you want to do. You can lift your hands. You can, you know, whatever you feel like doing, it doesn't really matter to me. But I, I really feel like we just, don't wait on me to come back to this microphone and ask you to be seated. I really feel like we need to spend some time in prayer here. Can we do that? Let's lift our voices and let's, let's talk to the Lord here tonight.
love you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Aren't you thankful for what you feel here tonight? Let's clap our hands unto the Lord. God bless you. You can be seated. Numbers are of great significance and importance throughout Scripture. We know that seven is the number of perfection or completion. Three being the minor of seven, it also speaks of perfection and wholeness and completion. The reason that that is significant is because when you study Scripture, you will find out that every Old Testament habitation of God was divided up into three parts. You can look in Genesis and consider the first habitation of God, which was the habitation of creation. Creation was divided into three parts in that God created an earthly dimension. Then the sky or the atmosphere. And then eventually the heavenly dimension. And then you progress into the book of Exodus. And we see the first tangible physical habitation of God. And it was divided into three parts. The Old Testament tabernacle consisted of the outer court and the holy place and the most holy place. Then you have Solomon's temple that he built. And it was divided into three parts. You have the outer court, and then you have the inner court, and you have the holy place. But when you get into the New Testament, we have to remember, as I said this morning, that God does not break typology. He is a God of structure. He is a God of alignment. He is a God of patterns. And in the New Testament, you and I are that tabernacle not made with hands. We are the temples of the Holy Ghost. Just as those Old Testament habitations of God were divided into three parts, this New Testament habitation of God is also divided into three parts which is why Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica. 
said, I pray the God of peace would sanctify you wholly, spirit, soul, and body. The reason Paul did not begin with the body and progress to the spirit is because he understood that if he began with the spirit and digressed to the body, that the church of Thessalonica would get the revelation that the spirit dimension is the place of preeminence. And it is the spirit dimension of man that should set the precedent for the soul and the body of man. You can take every Old Testament habitation of God and you can lay it on top of this New Testament tabernacle and temple which is man, which is the church and it mirrors one another. You have the habitation of creation. It begins with the earthly dimension. That is synonymous with the outer court and with the body of man. Then you have the atmosphere or the sky, and that is synonymous with the holy place or the inner court or the soul of man. And then eventually you have the heavenlies, which is synonymous with the most holy place. And in the temple it would be the holy place. And uh, it is synonymous with the spirit of man in the New Testament. But perhaps one of the most pivotal parts of that New Testament habitation is the soul of man. The reason that the soul of man is so pivotal and so important is because it is the soul of man that is the seat of human intellect. It is the seat of human emotions. And the soul of a man has the ability to elevate the body to spiritual dimensions or it can drag the spirit down to fleshly dimensions. It all depends on what you open your soul up to the most. If you open your soul up to fleshly things, eventually it will drag your spirit down into a fleshly dimension. But if you open your spirit up to spiritual things, eventually it will elevate your flesh into a spirit dimension. Whether or not you walk after flesh or spirit is contingent upon what you open your emotions up to the most. Which is why I am alarmed when I go to churches across our movement. And it takes an hour of singing and another hour of preaching just for people to get plugged into the spirit realm. That lets me know that Monday through Saturday they have opened their emotions up to fleshly things. And it takes an hour of music and singing and another hour of preaching and another 40 minutes in the altar just to redirect their emotions back to the things of God. 
we want to ask the question, where are the miracles in the apostolic church? I'll tell you where the miracles are. The miracles are not in that soulish, emotional arena. The miracles are beyond the veil in that spiritual dimension. Because Aaron's rod that budded was not in the outer court, and it was not in the holy place. It was beyond the veil in the most holy place. And so we cannot expect to see blinded eyes open and the lame begin to walk and devils cast out and the gifts of the Spirit and deaf ears unstopped and diabetes healed and tumors shrivel up and die. If we come into the house of God and we are satisfied with staying in the holy place because it makes our emotions feel good, can I preach to you and say there is a dimension beyond our emotions and it is not a feeling, it is a reality of the spirit realm. So I have noticed traveling across our movement that a lot of times uh, our church services never make it out of that soulish emotional arena. We tap into the emotions, and I believe in emotions. God gave us emotions. We are supposed to have emotions, but that is not the apex. That is not the end-all, be-all when it comes to having a move of God. We cannot just come into the house of God and stop in the holy place because the music and the singing makes our emotions feel good. We cannot equate our emotions feeling good with having a genuine, authentic move of the power and the demonstration of the Spirit of God. So I've got a question for this church. Are you hungry for your emotions to be appeased? Or do you want to go beyond just what merely feels good to the flesh and experience a move of God that goes beyond your logic and your emotions? Somebody put your hands together all over this house. So all of these habitations of God, they progressed. They progress into a spiritual dimension. And so man is three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. But there is a lot of debate among theologians as to whether or not man is three-part or man is two-part. The reason that there is debate about this is because sometimes in Scripture the words soul and spirit overlap and they are difficult to distinguish. But other times in Scripture there is a clear distinction between the function of soul and spirit within humanity. Such as when the Bible said that the Word of God divides asunder between soul and spirit. Those are not one and the same. Those are two separate and distinct functions within humanity. And so there is one group that believes man is three-part, body, soul, and spirit. But there is another group that believes man is two-part, tangible and intangible, visible and invisible, material and immaterial. 
But I would submit to you today that man is both three-part and two-part. We are three-part because we are body, soul, and spirit. But we are also two-part because body is visible, but soul and spirit is invisible. Body is tangible, but soul and spirit is intangible. Body is material, but soul and spirit is immaterial. So Paul, he, he begins to write and he is, he is trying to explain to the church of Corinth the difference between these, these natures that are at war. And he begins to describe throughout his epistles uh, that there is a war between his members and that, and that sometimes he does right, but then other times he does wrong. And, and he talks about the contention between the natural and the spiritual. Can I tell you that no matter how much you pray and no matter how much you fast, there will always be contention between your flesh and your spirit. It doesn't matter how much you pray and how much you fast. Your flesh isn't going anywhere. As long as you have breath in your lungs, there will always be contention between the natural and the spiritual. And this wasn't a point that Paul just just made in passing, but it was something he reiterated over and over and over. And he would say things like, walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And he would say things like, Abraham had two sons. One was born of the bondwoman, and the other was born of the free woman. He that was born of the bondwoman was born of the flesh, but he that was born of the free woman was of the spirit. And he goes on to say that just as it was then... Even so it is now that what was produced in the flesh will always oppose what is produced in the spirit. And so the church of Corinth are trying to grapple with this concept and wrap their minds around the concept uh, that man is divided. Man has a fleshly nature and man has a spiritual nature. And he writes to the church of Corinth and he said, Some man will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? That which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body. Body that shall be but bare grain, and it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. What Paul was trying to get across to the church of Corinth was that the natural man and the spiritual man, he was saying it is like a seed that is planted in the ground. When you plant that seed in the ground, you are not not planting a tree, you are planting a seed, but inside of that seed are all of the elements necessary for a tree to break forth and begin to grow. He was trying to get them to understand that when you are buried in the soil of life, there will be things in your natural man that deconstruct and begin to break apart, but when the breaking apart is done, there is greatness that will come. 
come forth uh, from that seed. Can I preach to somebody and say, you might feel like you are buried uh, in the soil of this life, uh, but let me prophesy to you and say, what you are buried as uh, is not what you're going to resurrect as. Uh, you might have gone in the dirt as a seed, uh, but you're coming out greater than you've ever been before. So Paul would use language like uh, like the natural man and the spiritual man. And the flesh and the spirit. But in 1 Corinthians 15, his language changes a little bit. And he uses terminology that he doesn't use anywhere else in his epistles. He said there is a natural body. And there is a spiritual body. He did not say there is a natural man and a spiritual man or a natural nature and a spiritual nature. He said there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. The reason Paul used that terminology is because Paul had an understanding that the natural reflects the spiritual. And just as the natural body has senses, uh, the spiritual body has senses. Uh, that's why he was able to say things like, what is the mind of the spirit? Because just as that natural body has a mind, uh, the spiritual body has a mind. Uh, which is why he went on to say that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Can I remind us here tonight that this end time revival will not be ushered in on the back of what flesh and blood can produce but there are some things we can only attain when we get beyond that natural body and when we get into the spiritual body God is looking for individuals in this church that will step beyond the flesh and live with an awareness of what the eye cannot see and what the ear cannot hear and what the nose cannot smell and what the mouth cannot taste and what the hands cannot feel is anybody in this house hungry to go beyond the flesh and live in a spirit dimension I understand I'm unpacking a lot here tonight but just stay with me we're, we're, we're going somewhere and so if there's anybody in scripture that knew what it was like to step beyond that natural body and tap into that spiritual body it was a man by the name of Moses because John said no man hath seen God at any time but that seems a little contradictory to me because Exodus 33 and 11 said that the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man does a friend. So how can the Bible say that the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man does a friend? Yet John is able to say that no man hath seen God at any time. It is because in the Old Testament before God manifests himself in the flesh, he was just a spirit that had not flesh and bones. So whenever Moses saw God face to face he was not seeing the face of God in the natural body but he transcended the natural body and he was seeing the face of God in his spiritual body. 
And so a few verses later in Exodus 33, we see where Moses steps out of the spirit and he gets back into that natural body and he makes a carnal request. He said, God, show me your glory. But God said, Moses, I cannot show you my glory because no man can see my face and live. There is another seeming contradiction. Out in verse 11 say the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. But now God is saying, I can't show you my face because no man can see my face and live. It is because just within those few verses, Moses went from operating in the spiritual body to now he's in the flesh, operating in the natural body. And so what God did was he said, Moses, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to cover you with my hand and my glory is going to pass by you. And watch this. He said, my hinder parts you will see, but my face you're not going to be able to see. You know what God was saying to Moses? He was saying, when you operate in the flesh, you're only going to see glory leaving instead of glory coming. If Moses would have stayed in the spirit and in the spiritual body, he could have seen the face of God. I've come to preach to this church. We're not going to see glory leaving. We're going to see glory coming. We're not going to see revival walking out the door. We're going to see revival bust down the doors of this city. We're not going to see apostolic ministry leave. Come on, somebody. We're going to see it come. And when it gets here, it's going to turn this area upside down. Somebody lift your voice in this house right now. So if there's any other man that knows what it's like to step outside of that natural body, it's a man by the name of Jacob. He got into that spiritual body when the Bible said Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and has prevailed. And the Bible said that God blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, which means I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Now you've got to understand something about Jacob. Up to that point in his life, everything that he had attained, he attained of his own talent. He attained of his own ability. He attained of his own cognition. But there was greatness and destiny on his life. And God said, in order to get him where I want him, I've got to break his natural body and let him see my face. He didn't see the face of God until something in his natural body was broken. And there are people in this house, you think everything you've been through, that it's been the devil, that it's been an adversary, that it's been an enemy. I've come to tell you, it's not the devil. It's just been a wrestling match with a God that wants you to see him face to face. 
You know what that means? That means you ought to shout in this house. What you thought was the devil was just God trying to get you to a place where your natural body was broken enough to step into the spiritual body. Come on, I need a Sunday night crowd in this house right now. I didn't come to just preach a good message. I came to help somebody understand there's another level for you to operate in, but you're not going to get it in the flesh. you got to let God break you and get you beyond the fleshly man. And Jacob got up and he was walking with a limp. I was in prayer several weeks ago and the Lord spoke to me. And he said, Caleb, Jacob's limp. It saved Jacob's lineage because God broke the part of his flesh that needed to be broken. It was able to save Jacob's lineage. And all of these years of what I've gone through, I realized it was just God trying to get the father out of me, trying to get the old man out of me, trying to get the things my dad didn't conquer out of me. There's somebody in this house. You better let God break your flesh. You don't need to resist it because when he breaks it, you're going to get up with a limp, but that limp is going to save your kids. That Come on, that limp is going to save your grandkids. Somebody ought to stand to their feet and let God know right now, God, you need to break whatever you got to break in my flesh so that my kid doesn't end up like I almost ended up. Come on, let's lift our voices. Let's pray. Let's pray in this house right now. And so God changed the name of Jacob. But that can seem a little bit confusing. Because throughout scripture you see where there are sometimes God refers to him as Jacob. But then there's other times where God refers to him as Israel. But what you have to understand is that when God refers to him as Jacob. It is referring to the natural posterity of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But when he refers to him as Israel, God is going beyond that natural body. <laughs> and he is referring to him in that spiritual 
in that spiritual body as Israel. That's why sometimes he's referred to as Jacob, the natural body. And other times he is referred to as Israel, the spiritual body. Which is why Isaiah said that the Lord sent a word into Jacob. That's the spiritual body. But it lighted upon Israel. He sent a word into Jacob. That's the natural body. But it lighted upon Israel. That's the spiritual body. You know what God was saying in that? He was saying, I want everybody to get what I'm doing in this hour. But not everybody's going to get it. Only the spiritual people are going to possess what I want them to possess. Can I tell you, at the end of the day, not everybody's going to have revival. Not everybody's going to see miracles. Not everybody's going to build a new building. Not everybody's going to plant more campuses. But do you want to know who he is? It's the spiritual body. It's not Jacob. It's Israel. I wish Israel would identify themselves in this house right now. And you see what I'm sensing in this room right now is that there's there's a war going on between that natural body and that spiritual body. That natural, carnal, fleshly nature is saying, it's Sunday night, we're tired, we're ready to go home. But then that fleshly nature is pulling on you saying, we remember what he preached to us this morning about pushing back the enemy in this region so that we can plant more churches. So it's a war between Jacob and Israel. natural body and the spiritual body. And we preach that story, but we stop there when God changes his name. But at the end of that story, it said that the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank unto this day. Because when God weakened their flesh, they didn't go back and feed on the area of flesh that God had weakened. Can I tell you, it is God's job to adjust your alignment, but it's your job to adjust your appetite. I said it's God's job to adjust your alignment. But it's your job to adjust your appetite. And there are some of you that have come into the church and you've been filled with the Holy Ghost. You've been baptized in the name of Jesus, but yet you are still making provision for the flesh outside of this building. You're still eating on the part of your flesh that God shrank. But I've come to tell somebody, if you got to unfollow them on Facebook, you unfollow them on Facebook. If you got to, come on somebody, if you got to cancel the subscription, you cancel the subscription. You know what I feel? You, you know what I feel? You asked me yesterday what I feel in the Midwest region. I'll tell you what I feel. I feel carnality and I feel worldliness. We are eat up with a love of the things of this world. And we wonder why our church services are locked up. We wonder where the miracles are. I'll tell you where they are. It's getting caught up in that soulish arena. We've learned how to come in and feed on the flesh all week long and then our emotions feel good and we miss out on everything God has for us in the spirit. Let's lift our hands and let's pray in this house.
let's pray. Let's lift our voices and let's pray. Let's push here for a moment. Let's pray. Noticed it. I've noticed it, especially here tonight. We get caught up in that holy place. We've got the Spirit, the most holy place, pulling us in this direction. And then we've got the outer court, the flesh, pulling us in that direction. And we've learned how to camp out right there in that soulish, emotional arena where we come into the house of God and we get the goosebumps and we feel good while the music and the singing is taking place, and we stop there. And what we have done is we have turned the holy place into a holding place. That is the equivalent of a high priest taking the blood of that lamb and stopping at the altar of incense right before the veil and saying, my job is done. All the while, there's an entirely different dimension on the other side of that veil where the glory fills the atmosphere. And it doesn't matter what he does or doesn't feel. At that moment, he has stepped beyond the senses and he has entered into a spiritual reality that transcends his emotions. Emotions are just the entryway, not the end game. But we have taken emotions and made it the end game. When God said, that is just the door that I have called you to walk through to get into my presence. And I've noticed it several times when it's time to pray and when it's time to push. It's like we go so far and then locks up. just how far to push to make our emotions feel good all the while this atmosphere is still locked up. Anybody feel what I'm talking about? While the preacher is preaching, while the music is going, we know how to go high. But the moment that that comes down and it's time to push so that something breaks, we just retreat. We're caught in that holding place where it feels good. But there's another dimension beyond that. It's a spiritual reality. And that's where territory is gained in the spirit. And so God, he promises Abraham. He says, I'm going to make sure that your seed are as the stars of the heaven and as the sands of the shore. And that seed, that lineage is going to possess the gate of his enemies. An angel shows up. Here it is, lineage and land. An angel shows up to Abraham and to Sarah and says, at the time of life, I'm going to revisit you. And Sarah is going to have a son. And the Bible said that Sarah hears that and laughs within herself because the God dream was so big she could not wrap her finite mind around what God had promised her. 
Can I tell you, the moment you're able to quantify what you think God wants to do is the moment that's not what God wants to do. But when it blows your mind, it's so big, that's a good indicator that that is a God dream. I'm going to tell you, these four walls might be your metric, but that's not God's metric. You want to know what God's metric is for this church? It's a region. It's a county. And it's another region. And it's another county. And it's a, come on, it's another region. It's another county. But we're not going to get there in the flesh. We're not going to get there in our emotion and what we can produce. Because you asked me yesterday, what does dominion and taking territory look like? Whenever you tap into spiritual warfare, that is God taking you somewhere in the spirit before he takes you there in the natural. Hey, Abraham, everywhere you put your foot, that land is going to be yours. In other words, if you don't go there, you're not going to get it. If you don't pursue it, you're not going to possess it. Every time you tap into spiritual warfare, that is God taking you to a place in the spirit before he takes you there in the natural. Finally, the Bible says that shows back up Sarah births that son of promise but before she gets the son of promise Abraham and Sarah take matters into their own hands and he goes in unto Hagar the Egyptian and conceives Ishmael but I want you to know that flesh is a vehicle for the emotions to be manifest Ishmael was not just a byproduct of flesh. Ishmael was a byproduct of emotion. The flesh was just a vehicle that the emotion used to act it out. It was an emotion of impatience and frustration and weariness and wondering if God's going to do what he said he would do. And that emotion was acted out through the flesh and it produced Ishmael. Finally, when Isaac is born... The Bible said that Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, mocking. And she looked at Abraham and she said, cast out this bondwoman and her son, even my son, for he shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. They said that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, was mocking. You know what that word mocking there means in the Hebrew? It means laughter. It is the same Hebrew word used when the Bible said that Sarah laughed within herself. Do you know what Isaac means in the Hebrew? It means laughter. So the picture that the writer was trying to paint was that what was born in the flesh was coming up to what was born of the Spirit. And he was acting like what was born of the Spirit. He was impersonating what was born of the Spirit. What was born of the flesh was posing as what was born of the Spirit. And when we operate in flesh and emotionalism, we get to a place where we learn how to look like the Spirit. We learn how to sound like the Spirit. We learn how to feel like the Spirit. But it's just a byproduct of emotion and flesh. 
Ishmael revivals we've had that we've labeled as Isaac revivals. Because it felt good in the flesh. There's some emotion that came along with it. But that's where it ended. And we never got to the spirit realm. The Bible said that Hagar takes her son Ishmael. She lays him under a tree, and I'm almost done. She lays him under a tree, and she leaves him there to die. And the Lord speaks to her and says, lift up the lad. Watch this. For I will make of him a great nation. That is one portion of the Abrahamic covenant that God gave to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I'm going to give you lineage. But you never read where God promised him land. In other words, what is born of the flesh, God will allow it to perpetuate, but he will never allow it to possess. You got to get that. to what is born of flesh and emotion, God will allow it to perpetuate, but he will never allow it to possess. He'll allow it to continue, but he'll never allow it to conquer. God will allow us to come in and go through the motions and tap into that soulish emotional arena. feel good and stop there. He will allow us to continue to do that, but he will never allow that to conquer anything in the spirit realm. He'll allow it to perpetuate. I can tell I've lost a lot of you right now. He will allow it to perpetuate, but he will never allow it to possess. Ishmael had just enough of the father's DNA to try and get by and claim that promise. He had just enough of Abraham's genetics to try and claim what was rightfully Isaac's. But God wouldn't let him have it. This is an individual word. Some of you are caught between two worlds. You're being pulled on by the flesh. But you know there's a spiritual reality that God is calling you to walk in. And you've learned how to come in Sunday and Sunday and Sunday and Sunday. And get into that soulish emotional arena. And because it feels good. You equate that with God's stamp of approval. All the while, God is saying, you can continue, but you won't conquer. You can perpetuate and keep doing exactly what you're doing. You can either continue to feel good or to continue to appeal to the emotions and the senses and the intellect, 
that you'll never possess everything in the spirit that God wants you to possess. to be somebody in this room that has been drifting away. Hold on, hold on. I appreciate the handcuffs, but you got to let this sink into your spirit. Somebody has to get tired of just coming in and thinking that this is all there is to it. It doesn't matter if you've been living for God for three weeks or for 30 years. Eventually, you've just got to get tired of Sunday services and feeling good doing the music and the singing and a 10-minute, 15, 20-minute altar call and thinking that's it. Because I know that's not the nature of your pastor and his wife. There's an expanding nature to the book of Acts. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost. The promise is unto you, to your children, to all that are far off, even as many. For every measurement of lineage, God gave them an equal measurement of land. Jerusalem, you. Judea, your children. Samaria, all that are far off. The uttermost, even as many lineage and land. You want to know why? Because the promised land is only for the promised lineage. And we have bought into a lie in Pentecost that God is calling us to coexist and cohabitate with other gatherings that are only operating in the flesh and in the emotions. But God's not going to give this end time revival to half-brothers that know how to talk in tongues and they've got the right stage design and the right lighting and a big building and a large crowd and a large gathering. This revival is not for them. The promised land is only for the promised lineage. So it doesn't matter what charismatic church there might be somewhere near here. I don't know anything about this area. I'm just telling you what I feel. It doesn't matter what large, non-denominational, charismatic church there might be that has a bigger building than you, that has more people than you. God will let them perpetuate, but he will not let them possess. You want to know who the stronger man of this city is? It's the apostolic church. I feel a spirit of discouragement right now because the enemy has jumped in some of your ears. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. The enemy has jumped in your ear and said, well, look at that gathering of people. Look at the hundreds and the thousands that they've got. Look at the resources they've got. Look at the building that they've got. Look at the money they've got. Look at the finances they've got. Look at the connections they got. You better hear me in the Holy Ghost. That is not Isaac. That is Ishmael. And the promised land is not for them. I hope they get a revelation of what we've got. But until they do, they are not us and we are not them. You are the stronger man of this city.
tell this church there's some resources that are locked up right now in the enemy. The strong man of this region's got some resources locked up right now. The Bible says that an armed man strong keepeth his palace and his goods are in peace. We talk a lot about our peace. The sign of kingdom government is peace. When a region has been conquered, you'll pull into that region and you won't feel the predominant spirit of that region anymore because the back of that strong man has been broken. You'll feel nothing but the peace of the Holy Ghost. But the enemy also has a peace. Until the back of the strong man is broken in a region, his goods are in peace. But when the stronger man shows up, his peace is disrupted because he knows one stronger than he is here. You are not the strong man. You are the stronger man. And when that strong man's peace is disrupted and the back of that strong man is broken, all of the goods and the spoils that he has in captivity right now are relinquished from his grip and they are transferred into the kingdom of God. You want to know where that flow of provision is? Right now it's locked up in the enemy's camp. But I'm telling this church in the Holy Ghost, the back of that strong man is going to be broken. sent his disciples into the cities where he would come after them. He sent them with power and authority. Pentecost, a lot of times we use those words as though they're synonymous and interchangeable, but they're not. They're two very different words with two very different meanings. He sent them with power. That is, in the Greek, dunamis. It's where we get the English word dynamite. And it means the ability to do something. The capability to finish a task. 
But he also sent them with authority. In the Greek, that is exousia. And that is talking about a sphere of influence, jurisdiction, rights within a certain realm. What Jesus was saying is, I'm not just sending you with power. I'm sending you with permission to use that power. And I've gone to a lot of church that are sitting on a ticking time bomb of revival. All the power in the world to take that city and take that region. But they don't think they have permission to use it. I've come to tell this church that God didn't just put you here with power for you to sit idly on top of it. He's given you permission to use that power. So what's going to happen here? We're going to pray. We're not going to pray just until we get into that soulish, emotional leaning and back up. We're going to pray until we literally go beyond merely what we feel. And we get lost in the spirit. And there are some of you in this room, you're going to tap into warfare. And that's going to be a signal to let you know God has taken you somewhere in the spiritual before he takes you there in the natural. youth group, Brother Gilliland is going to pray. He's going to pray in spiritual warfare. He's going to pray until he taps into it. And you're going to learn how to pray by listening to him. Because where God wants to take this youth group, it's so much more than just flesh and emotion. It's a spiritual reality. Spanish communities you and your wife have a burden for, when you tap into spiritual warfare, Kayla, when you tap into spiritual warfare, you're battling against things in the spirit. That's a good indicator that God's taken you somewhere in that Spanish community in the, in the spirit before you go there in the natural. You've got to tap into that spirit dimension and be like Abraham and put your foot there in the spirit realm because God's getting ready to take you there in the natural. Raphael, angels just walked in this room. See, I know a lot of you probably think I'm crazy by saying angels just walked into this room, but I'm not talking about what feels good to the logic and the intellect. I'm talking about a spiritual reality. I wish somebody would just start praying until they lose control of their flesh and their emotions. Until you literally have to get up out of your seat and run to this altar and get a hold of the throne of God and begin to pray things down in the spirit. Come on, you've got power, but you've also got permission. It's yours, Christian Life Church. Come on, this altar is open. I wish there'd be an elder that would find a place to pray and rock back and forth like you do at home. And you pray until you get beyond the emotion. And you begin to pull things down in the spirit.
Come on, some of you young ladies got to learn how to pray right now. You got to go to battle against the strong man of this city. You got to disrupt the peace of the strong man of this city. You got to get tired of just coming in and getting into that emotional arena. There is a realm beyond what merely feels good to the body and the flesh and the mind. 